Welcome to the You, Me and the GP radio show, a health exercise and nutrition show for over 40s who want to get back to their best. Discover how to keep yourself fit, healthy and full of energy. Each week, your hosts Rich Clark and Dr. Mark Daniels will answer your questions and interview special guests. Rich Clark is an exercise scientist and nutritionist who helps over 40s thrive, not just survive in today's busy world. Dr. Mark Daniels is a practicing GP with 25 years experience. He's had notable success with his patients using simple dietary changes rather than medication to provide improvements. Living in Wales with their families, they see the effect poor health has on people on a daily basis and how easily it can be turned around. Sit back and enjoy our tips and advice. Hello, it's me and Mark and we're ready to rock. That didn't rhyme, but that didn't matter. Here we go, Mark. How are you down the other end of this uh, line here? I'm good. Weather's got a bit colder, but I'm still feeling feeling fine. It's nice to be out in the sun. It's good. Yeah, I um I had my first sunbed the other day of the winter. I know, you know, well, you might be shock horror there, but uh, I find the the sunbed helps helps a lot more than the vitamin D supplementation. I don't know whether it's because the dose is higher or whatever, but I feel fantastic after I have a sunbed. I only go on it for about three or four minutes. Sorry. Four minutes for like three quid or whatever it is and it does this whatever thing and some people hate them and they think they're going to get cancer just by going under them but i think my own logic is you likely to get more cancer by having low vitamin d levels uh for life sort of thing which is what you have it for in in the uk so i've had a little sunbed there and uh, i feel fantastic after it to be honest and it's definitely must have been deficient in, in vitamin d so, okay, got a few questions here to go through, Mark. People have been sending them in. Fantastic. It's uh, really building momentum now, the show. Already been asked if we're doing any more events, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's taking on a life of its own, Pat. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's great. So, hi, uh, Rich and Mark. I started running about three months ago, and I run three times a week, averaging six miles a run, burning around 1,300 calories a run. Would you up your calories on these days to cover the calories burnt running? And if so, would you replace them all? I've started taking away protein after every run. Would you recommend this? Uh, Dennis uh, Marsh, 40, from Birchgrove, one of uh, the boys there. Um, hey, Dennis. <laughs> There's a couple of things I would like to talk about, Mark. Anything you want to go through, or do you want to? Got you go for it first, Gone. Is his approach of thinking in calories is not necessarily? It's not bad, but it's not good. It's not correct. It's just me that has a thing like that. But generally, his instinct is correct. He's doing more. So therefore, you should have a bit more. And then conversely, on days where you do less, you should have a bit less. My ultimate question for Dennis would be if it was for fat loss. And quite often it is for a bit of fat loss. That's why people often go out and exercise sort of thing. He's an ex-football player and a good footballer and things like that, Dennis. So, um, you know, he's probably getting a bit older now, not playing and, and maybe putting on a few kilos. So... If he's looking to lose weight, then 
the approach, which is a kind of a carb cycling, is what you do. So you eat less carbs on non-running days. And then on a running day, you eat more carbs. But this is a really important point. You'll only back load with carbs. So what I mean by that is you don't carb up to go for your six-mile run. You do the run, and then you have your carbs in the post-exercise meal. Okay, so you need to follow that little pattern. And if you do that, basic um, manipulation of your calories, more on exercise days and less on rest days, you will do well. Okay, so that's that. Mark, anything? I think you've I think you've actually covered that one well. I don't think it's I I, I don't like the word calories anyway because people mm. think oh, I've been on the machine for an hour and a half. I've got fourteen hundred calories. I can go and have a whatever yeah. but it doesn't work like that no, so. no, no. That's right. I, I had another lady in the other day who was she's you know all calories and carbs and, and all the rest of it but uh, yeah okay hi rich mark can you tell me how to prevent what to do about shin splints sue 43 do you want to kick off with this one buddy yeah I, people have gone Painful legs always think they've got shin splints to start off with anyway. But you're, you're at most risk of shin splints if you've been running for a short period of time because you're not used to it. If you run on hard surfaces, if you wear poorly fitting shoes, if you're overweight, if you've got flat feet, if you've got weak ankles, if you've got poor Achilles tendons, so all those things are risk factors for, for shin splints. But shin splints is not really a one illness. It's lots and lots of different things that can cause can be shin splints. Shin splints can be a stress fracture. It can be uh, a compartment syndrome, where it's, it's the actual uh, covering that's the problem. It can be like it can be um, something called MTSS, which is um, medial tibial stress syndrome. And all these things, basically, what happens is you get pain on exercise that goes down the lateral aspect of your uh, your shin, the outside aspect that is. Um, what do you do about it? How do you prevent it? Well, you don't, you don't do the things that can cause it. So, you know, if you've got flat feet, you don't run. If you've got, you don't run on hard surfaces, you can help it. You know, it's, it's lots of things you can do to prevent it, but get decent footwear, obviously. But if you've got it, you've got to stop doing whatever you're doing for two weeks and do exercises that don't give you shoes. It's like cycling, swimming, cross training, yoga, whatever you want to do. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's about what I've got. It's two spaces. It's an overdiagnosed thing, to be perfectly honest. It tends to be, lots of people say they've got shin splints, but in fact they've just got, you know, they're not used to exercise. But if you have shin splints, it is quite serious, and you need to take, you need to not, not run through it for sure, all right? That's the most important thing, don't run through it, because uh, you can cause more damage. But then you, you, need to, you need to rest it if you have shin splints. But what have you got on this one? Uh, yeah, I kind of agree with what you said. And just to add, it's an overuse injury. Yeah. So... The, the obvious treatment would be to do what Mark said and use it less, okay? So your frequency, look at that. If it's, so there's two cases here for this person. Either she is new to exercise, like you said, Mark, or she's someone who's exercising and she suffers with shin splints. Most people who exercise regularly, or the majority of people who exercise regularly don't get shin splints unless it's something special like pre-season or there's some period of intense work, so there's more games during a week, or there's more training, or, but there will be some case of an increase in volume for whoever it is, whether it's a, an active person, it will be an increase in volume for them, 
So that would mean overuse. And if it's just for your regular kind of person, just decided they want to put their trainers on after a couple of years and haven't done anything. So that's the first thing. Ice, rest, back off, um, all that sort of stuff. You can go down the route with Mark said, as you say, looking at your footwear, this, that, and the other, and that is, is something which, you know, the physio will help you decide that. But the most important part of this whole process I found in my kind of 18 years of, of treating sports injuries is the diagnosis. Like you said, what did you say? It's, it's often not um, shin splints. It can be other things. And yeah. I think that's fair to say, but it's also not diagnosed. It's diagnosed as shin splints. Which yeah. is saying, like saying you have cancer. It's it's a it's very vague diagnosis. You things need to be more specific. So you do need to differentiate between compartment syndrome, stress fracture, or if it's a tendon, tendonitis, like you know in the the distal end of the the, the kind of lower leg there. So if it's those, uh, decide which one. If it's compartment syndrome, that's brilliant. Okay. If it feels like it's going to explode when you exercise and it goes really really tight but then it backs off when you stop that's usually compartment syndrome all right if it's pain um, before during and after um, that then goes a little bit more difficult to diagnose because it could be the tendon or it could be a stress fracture if the pain is more towards your foot it's likely to be and towards the ankle it's likely to be your tendon if it's more up the general length of the, the side of the leg and the actual shin, then it could uh, guesstimate that it could be a stress fracture. So for the first one, compartment syndrome, soft tissue work is going to help, and a deep massage, foam rolling, stretching, all these sorts of things, that would be enough for compartment syndrome. You may even be able to carry on exercising. All right. For the other two, You've got to back off, like Mark said. You've got to really get yourself uh, out of inflammation. You've got to mobilize the whole area, improve the, the, the general mechanics. Um, so, again, you do the, some of the same uh, stuff, so the, the stretching and things like that. But you can only do the soft tissue work with the, the tendonitis or the stress fracture once it settles. So you can't do the soft tissue work whilst the tendonitis is still angry. Okay, but you're gonna need someone to help you to figure that out, unless you can figure it out from what I just said there now. All right, compartment syndrome is it's not so bad. Okay, anything, Mark? Yeah, it's good. Oh yeah, good. Okay, so next question. Hi, Richard Mark. What are some good things to eat before bed? And I'm not sure who this one's uh, from. Uh, sorry, uh, how about that? Do you want me to start that? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I, you know, go. The way I look at it, and it's what I do, is you you can't produce human growth hormone in the presence of insulin, all right? Correct. <laughs> human growth hormone is produced mainly at night. So if you eat before you go to bed, a carbohydrate meal, you are going to end up spiking your insulin, and then you won't get any human growth hormone. So I, I tend to say don't eat before bed. And they, I mean, the bodybuilders all do it. They all eat before bed because they're, they're, they're pumping themselves full of testosterone. So they, they don't need to worry about human growth hormone, etc. But if the average Joe, he, he basically, I would say don't eat anything after about 8 o'clock. Mm. Yeah. And that's like my, my own view. But I mean, it's, it's uh, some people want to eat before they go to bed. They, they think they're going to lose all their muscles. Anyway, but I actually don't think that's true. 
No, I, I, I agree. Um, again, like you've said, Mark, I, I, I agree 100%, but uh, the, the, the differentiation needs to be made between are people going for fat loss or performance? And, you know, you could argue fat loss and performance, you, but you still wouldn't eat before bed. But there are a few cases which, you know, people would eat before bed. Um, so generally don't eat before bed, two hours before bed, go to bed on an empty stomach, like Mark said, get the growth hormone, get the fat reduction. That's going to really, the sh- magic happens when you're sleeping. Your body's healing and recovering. But if, for example, you don't sleep well, then actually having a kiwi or a banana an hour before bed can help you to sleep deeper. Now, the research is uh, something in the, the kiwi, I forget, and the banana or what it is, but these things help to increase uh, the amount of serotonin you produce. Is it something like tryptophan in the kiwi, Mark? Or what is it? It's the melatonin they produce anyway. Melatonin, right. So it's something in, in there that, that produces, and that helps you to get a, a deeper sleep. So it's also, magnesium, I just thought it is. I'm not, I'm not sure about Yeah, it. there we go. Uh, magnesium so there's some instances where it's been shown that a small snack before bed can help you sleep better so if you're having sleep problems and you don't care about fat loss and all this sort of stuff or you'd rather get a good night's sleep than you care about fat loss is more of a priority sort of thing then you should focus on uh, making sure that you have the right things uh, before bed uh, like um, I said a, a kiwi or some magnesium or something like that but if you really want to eat something, which is what this person has asked, then light snacks, so more protein-based stuff. I've got a lady now who's actually doing really well on soup, but all she did was she swapped two pieces of toast for soup. So this is why she's doing well on soup, all right? Because she was having two pieces of toast before bed, and then, like, obviously not losing any weight, and then having another couple of pieces of toast when she got up, or some cereal, and, you know, you could probably fill in the, the gaps yourself. But, um yeah, something light, guys, if you really want to eat something for bed. Um, but ideally, Mark, no, no, not for health and weight loss. Okay. Okay, next question from Steve. Hi, uh, Richard Mark, I hear sweating is good for you. Why is that? You can start, go on. It's a detoxification pathway. You, you pee, poo, sweat, and cry. Um toxins out of your system so it's a great detoxifier it's great for your pores and your skin health so you've got that benefit actually if you get a sweat on it's also also going to be good for your cardiovascular system so the nature of getting a sweat on will mean your body temperature is raised and your heart rate will be increased so however you get your sweat on Use your imagination and all if you want to, you know, have fun with that. But whether it's a sauna or exercise, you're going to get lots of benefits uh, cardiovascularly. You're going to detoxify the lungs with the air. You're going to detoxify the skin and the pores and remove toxins actually from your system overall as well. So, yeah, sweat is really good for you. I love a sauna and I love to sweat. Mark? I said it's, it's good for reducing, I mean, all those things you said, they're the ones I just said as well, but it's also good for reducing stress as well. Yeah. It relaxes you. Because you, you, you bust it, but you, you know, your, um, body, your body is, is it, it's, it's cooled down, you know, you, you, you cool down, you, the sweat is produced and it cools your body, so it relaxes you. So it's actually very good for, um, for actually relaxation. So you get, get into a sauna, it'll help you relax. 
exercise, one of the things when, you, when you're sweating and exercise, it, it helps you relax. And so yeah. it's strange, but it does help relaxation. Yeah. And also, remember we spoke on a previous episode about the theory I had or the theory I was shared, uh, was shared with me that a sauna or a light cardio, and I use this in my business to treat people with exercise who have cough, so, not cough, sorry, who have head colds, so anything above the neck, getting a good sweat on can actually kill the virus. Yeah, it can help. Yeah, same. Because that's what the body does naturally, doesn't it, to yeah, kill yeah, things, same. is it increases its temperature, you get a bit of a sweat when you get a, a fever. <laughs> so, um, yeah, based on that um, theory, sweating is good to kill off any little l bugs or bacteria that are in the background. Yeah, it boosts your immune system as well because we as, as your body increases your heat, you, your, your body fat manufactures more white blood cells and in, in, you know, it improves your immune system. So, ah, yeah. right. So that is the exact um, yeah. kind of uh, pathway that it happens to. That's brilliant. Good. So lots of benefits in sweat in there uh, for you, Steve, okay? And uh, the last question of this episode, um, we've done an extra one, two, three, four, five. Ooh. Is there a routine that will help me do a handstand eventually? And this was from Sabina, Sabina Egghart. And uh, she's asking, is there a routine that will help me do a handstand eventually? And she's actually joined a circus um, <laughs> training thingy. Um, Mark, would you? I, I do handstands. You? I, I don't do it because of my neck. <clears throat> the reason oh, I don't course. do it is if I, if I actually drop myself on it, I would. There is a really nice one on the CrossFit website where there's a little boy who's about seven and it shows his progression. And it's actually a very clever little thing where it shows him every week what he does to get to be able to do a handstand. So it's quite a good watch. Oh, I'd like to watch that myself. Yeah, so it's quite good. He basically starts off, uh, if I remember rightly, just uh, going up and down on a box with just bending over on a box and he slowly builds up higher and higher. And it's a very clever, clever video. So if you go into CrossFit and you look up for handstand progression, it'll be a video, I think it's on, I can't remember which part of the site it's on, but it's, it's on there and you'll, you'll yeah. see it. Great. It's, 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 it's good. I started doing it, then I fell over and I thought, well, this is not a very really good idea. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's a disc, it was a disc removed from my neck and it's plastic and I thought I'd better not do this. So I, my wife is also bad at me for doing handstands because yeah. I'm a bit of a klutz. Yeah, I, I, um, they are very high risk guys, okay? So you do these at your own peril. Um, all I've managed uh, to do and what I would share is don't even attempt it if you can't do push-ups and stuff. So you have to have a basic level of upper body um, strength. You don't want to be launching your feet up in the, hair, in the air and all the weight going through your hands and then you just collapse into the ground on your first uh, attempt, which I have uh, seen happen. So... Make sure you can actually hold your body weight through your arms and stuff. After you establish that and you're fine, then you've got to go into a sprinting start position. So like you would on a, the line of a, of a 100 meter sprint, your hands flat and you kind of kick up from that position, but you don't kick up all the way. You just kick up an inch and you just take the weight through your arms, just kick up an inch, take the weight through your arms. And then as the videos will show you, you progress up uh, from there by reaching up with your leg and kicking up uh, with your leg. But all that aside, before you do this, you should learn to how to come out of a handstand. 
Okay, there's two ways to come out of a handstand. You either forward roll out of it, or you twist out of it. Now, I prefer to twist out of a handstand. Um, and as soon as you start, you go up into the handstand, as soon as you start to feel yourself tipping or losing your, your, your position, you move one hand away and just twist around onto your feet. Um, so you kind of twist out of the fall, if you're with me. Ultimately, going to that place means that you were doing handstands in free space. But if you go back before that, just do handstands against the wall. You know, that's pretty much what I do. I do handstand shoulder press. I can only do five, but I do them pain free and they represent a real big load. So if I don't have any weights, if I'm training at home and I want to do some pressing, uh, I'll do handstand press ups because I can only do five and it's like strength training for me. So I do a five, a four and a three, something like that. Absolutely wrecks me. So it's a fantastic exercise. It's a fantastic thing to be able to do. I'd love to be able to walk on my hands. And it's one thing that I hope to be able to give my son the ability to do. He's in gymnastics now. And I'd love for him to be able to just walk on his hands. I think it's a very athletic uh, thing to be able to do. It, it shows a, a great level of strength and stability and balance and skill, you know. Anything else, Mark? No, sounds good to me. Oh, sounds good to me. Okay, guys. That's us. That's another shift done, yeah? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, that's it. We're, uh, we're done on that, that little shift there now. So um, thanks to everybody, as per usual, for your support and, and for your questions. Keep them coming in. And, and, and of course, uh, leave the reviews there. Rate us. Give us some feedback. And uh, we'd appreciate it. So that's bye from me. And bye from me. You, Me and the GP Radio Show is intended for general information purposes and is not meant to diagnose, treat or cure any disease. It is not designed to provide specific advice and anyone with a medical problem should seek the advice from their own doctor. Please note, we accept absolutely no responsibility if you turn into a fitter, stronger, more energetic and all-round better version of yourself. To get the show notes, just head on over to richard-clark.co.uk.